This is Wholesaling Houses Elite, the no fluff and BS podcast with tips and tricks to help you become an elite wholesaler. Our guest will spill the beans on what it takes to be the best. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Max Maxwell. Welcome to another podcast, the first podcast of 2019. Wholesaling Houses Elite podcast and a special guest that I have with me kicking off the year is Scott Oots. How you doing, brother? I'm great, man. It's a little cold here over in North Carolina, not the California I'm used to. Yeah, Scott is from Southern California, and he is here in North Carolina. We're working on some things together. But I figured I have Scott. Might as well come into the office and do a podcast while you're here and kick off 2019. So, Scott, you are a real estate investor. Primarily, your business is built around wholesaling, right? Yeah, we do about 99% wholesale, 1% fix and flip right in there. So tell me uh, what market you're in and when you got started. Uh, So we're approaching four years now. Mm. It's crazy it's been that long. Um, We are in Southern California market, expanding more and more throughout Southern California, uh, looking at expansion out of there as well. So exciting time for us. Definitely closed 2018 with a killer year every year, just keep doubling the business. So what does a killer year consist of? What does that mean? So we brought in about 130, I think it was somewhere between 130, 140 wholesale deals last year, close to 4 million in revenue, just about hit that. What market can you generate 130 deals in? When you can do it in a lot of markets. What market are you in? So Southern California, it's possible. It definitely, uh, Definitely wait, 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 hold on. Wait. You're in Southern California. Now, you're a part of the Facebook group, and you know a lot of people talk about a saturated, overplayed, two competitive markets. You're in Southern California, one of the most crazy markets probably in the country, along with you, New York City and San Francisco. Tell me how you're able to pull 130 deals out of a market that everybody says is too saturated or dead. I mean, I hear that all the time and they're right. It's a competitive market. So when you look at markets like Southern California, even Phoenix, right? You look at all the gurus in Phoenix, there's so many of them there. They all compete and they all get deals. So when we look at Southern California, there's not as many big names there. However, the market just has so many people, There's, but there's so many houses. You got to consider the population. I mean, every time you get on the freeway, you just sit there, right? Those people are going home. They're going home to a house. They're going home to an apartment, a condo, something like that. So when we look at it and say, there's so many people, there's also so many houses. Yeah. So there's enough for everyone to step in and do their thing. I mean, I know quite a few wholesalers in the area. Uh, there's one not that far from me, and he does quite a few deals every year. Very respectable guy. I have never seen him at an appointment. Yeah. I've never seen the same deal pop up between the two of us. We'll share some leads back and forth, do things like that, but we never see each other. So it's really a mindset thing that you believe that there's so many houses out there and that's the switch. There's 4 million people. There's got to be a crap ton of houses so everybody can get their fair share if they're consistent with their marketing and also being you know, agile and be able to move with whatever happens. Yeah. I mean, you know me, consistency is a thing I preach, yeah. right? I mean, that's so many people try to get in this business and they're not consistent. And it's one of the so huge simple. things. Yeah. Tell me for the people that don't know you, how did you get started in this business? Like where, what, what, what bulb went off or how did you learn about this? Well, the bulb that went off was actually my wife, <laughs> um, had a previous business in the cell phone industry doing that. So boring. I always said, if I make money, I don't care what I do. Even if I'm bored, I made good money. I was bored. I changed that mindset. She came across uh, Sean Terry mm-hmm. at one point, Shout which a lot Terry. of people know him. Yeah. Great guy in the industry. Definitely one of those uh, real people. Yeah. He practices what he preaches. She saw his video and she's like, hey, check out this guy. He's wholesaling houses. And I said, I just kind of blew it off. I'm like, 
wholesaling houses. I mean, whatever. What Let's just that? get back to work, right? But she pushed it a little bit. She's like, you got to watch it. So I watch these videos and I'm like, wow, this guy actually seems legitimate, right? Sean's got that fire in his belly. He's pushing it and he just immediately had me hooked. And I said, okay, all right. So I started looking into it, doing more and more. Basically, uh, got started. I mean, we, we started hitting the ground running right away, watching podcasts, doing all that. Met with Sean, had a great time doing that. We started our business pretty damn quickly, but just kind of went from there. I mean, we hired our first person. We hired dispositions first. Uh, that was probably about five months after we started the business, if that. And then lead manager, acquisitions manager. Now I've got a team of eight in our office, VA in the Philippines. A lot of exciting things to come, but uh, it was a good time. So that's amazing. I think that's an awesome growth in four years to be able to go from what was already a successful type business and then move into something that you probably you are enjoying a lot more. Tell me what your team looks like. You say you got eight members. What does each person do? What, how's that work? So we have our lead manager. So our lead manager answers all of our inbound calls. She's nine to five Monday through Friday. She also just takes in general information about the property. So we've done a lot of shifting in our business to try to figure out, do we want to go meet with sellers? Do we want to close over the phone? Because of California traffic, closing over the phone hmm. is better. If you drive an hour and a half to an appointment, don't get the deal. Yeah. You got an hour and a half ride back in that car pissed at yourself, That's right? three hours. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, depending on how long you're at the appointment, I've been at appointments four hours. Yeah. So, I mean, there's your whole day. So Cassie, my lead manager, she answers the phones, basically puts an appointment on our uh, acquisitions manager schedule, and they call the seller and have a conversation. So they pick up the lead from there. We have uh, two acquisitions managers full-time right now. We have one that was filling our dispositions role that's now shifting back into acquisitions. Just hired our new dispositions manager. So she goes out and she she's only been with us about a month. Uh, she goes out and just kills it. She was already actually working for somebody in our area and uh, just wasn't working what she was doing. So she came over to work for us. So she already knows the buyers. She knows the area. She knows what they're looking for. It literally just, we could push the seat right up to her. She stepped into it and just took off. My wife's in the office. She um, kind of fills a lot of different roles. She's kind of our third backup on the phone. She also runs a lot of our numbers, tracks our KPIs, does things like that. She fills her day with a lot of almost random stuff, but it's stuff that the business needs. And it's a role that kind of had to be filled. We have uh, Jim. She's our VA in the Philippines. She works, um, well, she has Thursday, Friday off, but she works the weekends and evenings. So she answers phone calls then. I mean, when it comes to consistency, people think of mailing, they think of marketing, they mm -hmm. think of things like that. Their mind goes right there. But the thing they forget about is the consistency in answering the phones. Mm -hmm. Big one. Mm -hmm. If you don't answer your phone, what happens, right? What, what is literally the first stage to determining if someone's a lead? You've got to talk to them. Yeah, 100%. I know I go to cities sometimes when I'm just out and about doing other things and I'll call a random bandit sign mm -hmm. and I'll be like, and I'll leave a voicemail. Hey, this is Max Maxwell. You didn't pick up the phone. That's the first step of that's that it's more important than actually putting out the bandit sign. So usually they'll call back and we'll have a conversation about it. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely an interesting concept that people don't answer the phones, but we do it when we leave the office. Same thing. The phone becomes on a round robin to our sales guys. They're fast to pick it up. Even I'm put in that position where, you know, when I, when we leave after six o'clock, the phone rings simultaneously to everybody. And then whoever picks it up first is getting that lead. So yeah. if you're hungry, I don't care if you're at home. If you're hungry, you're hungry, right? Yeah, that's it. You're going to get it. So as far as your acquisitions manager, kind of describe what an acquisitions manager role is in your actual business. 
So basically what they do when my lead manager schedules the appointment for them, they'll get the lead that pops through our Podio system mm-hmm. and they'll call that seller. And really what it is, is a lot of newbie investors, right? They think that when you call someone, you're immediately just sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch. And that creates such a problem because that person doesn't see you as a person. They see you as a salesman. So for us, we've got the culture in our office where they're just calling and having a conversation. So they'll tell them why they're calling. That way this person doesn't say, hey, who the heck is this person? Yeah. But as they get the seller on the phone, they start asking, oh, how's your day been? Oh, did you guys do anything for the weekend? You already have weekend plans. They're just having a conversation. And then pretty soon, 10 minutes into it, seller's like, wait, why are you calling again? And they completely forget because they're lost in that conversation. Yeah. Then they start shifting into, oh, I was calling about your house, you know, one, two, three Main Street. I uh, heard you want to sell it. You talked to Cassie earlier in my office. And um, then basically at that point, they can start diving into it. Oh, so why are you looking at selling? And then they start kind of that conversation, but it's not what do you want for it, right? Why are you looking at selling the house? All these little things they're asking are starting to find out what people are going to want for this house, what their distress is. Yeah. Someone in most cases isn't going to come out and say, well, I mean, I'm, I'm 50,000 in the hole. Uh, it's going to auction tomorrow. That person's going to act like nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So you've got to get it out of them. Um, so really their role is literally to have a conversation with people to talk all day long, kind of like you and I are just talking right now, just having that conversation, letting it flow. And what the goal is, is if they hang up that phone call and they didn't figure out a solution to that problem, that person will call back because they remember that conversation they had with this person. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of setting yourself, they're kind of building that relationship up front that they can't imagine working with anyone else because you are so honest and straightforward. So they do that on repeat all day yeah. long. So that's, that's a good role because a lot of people say the word acquisitions and I always try to ask people, well, what is your acquisitions role? I know it's part of acquiring the property, but you, because the, where you live and how some, a lot of it's over the phone, you're having a lot of the conversations. Some people, acquisition teams are completely in the field hundred percent, but I've even adopted one of your models where once we set the appointment, it's up to the acquisitions guy to get back on the phone with the person to have a conversation because sometimes we can set appointments that are not needed. Yeah. Right. So we cut down on the unnecessary appointments by doing that pre-appointment call to really determine the actual hard line, you know, and they can probably pull a lot out of them on the phone in itself. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at that, that's a smart idea because if you're just scheduling in-person appointments all day long, your guy's just driving around, I yeah. mean, almost just driving around aimlessly. Correct. They'll show up to the house and the person will say, eh, I changed my mind, right? Door slammed in your face. Or you sit down and the person says, what's my offer? Yep. Right. It's happened. We try to get rid of those people because those people just say, what's the offer? They're, they're not going to, they're just, they're just tire kickers, right? Yeah. They're not actually trying to sell their house. They're thinking if my house is worth 300,000 and this guy comes in and pays me a million bucks, of course I'll sell it today. But if it's worth 300,000 and we offer them a hundred thousand, then what are they going to do? There's the door, get out. We've been kicked out of a lot of houses. It just happens. It's part of the job. Yeah. But you know what? The person will call us back a lot and they'll say, well, I mean, can you come up a little bit on your offer? Sometimes all they want is $5,000 more, but that was enough to say, hey, there's the door. But I mean, the in-person appointments are tough. And I know a lot of people shifting to more of that virtual model where they're not going belly to belly with the seller. Or they're not shaking those hands. What we do very well is determining who we need to shake a hand of. Honestly, if it's an older person, they may not be familiar with a DocuSign. Correct. They may not be familiar with doing those things. So we can get creative and send a mobile notary out with the contract. We can that. do things like that. But 
what a lot of those people respect about us is we will take the time to make that drive. I mean, I had one of my guys drove from Southern California to Las Vegas. Gambled a little bit and then got the contract. Oh, he, man, he got that sign and he got in the car right back. <laughs> um, he was back before I even knew he was gone. I'm like, yeah. did you really just drive to Vegas? But he went and met with a seller. He went out there, got that contract signed. And then while he was out there, my other sales rep called and said, hey, I have another seller that's in Vegas right now that has a house in California. He's like, well, if he wants a sign, I'm here. I could be at his house in 20 minutes. They work very well together, the two guys we have, and even the third coming in. That I mean, they'll get in the car and make that drive. That's three and a half hours. You got to get a pilot license, guy. I mean, and get you a little, get you a little plane for seventy five. You can turn <laughs> that four hour drive into forty five minutes. I mean, I don't want to do it. I mean, I just prefer somebody flies me in a jet or something. But you're on your way there. You know, maybe I'll just have my sales reps get their licenses. Maybe they can just fly helicopters around California or something. <laughs> so answer this question: What has helped you grow in the last four years from you started to where you are now, where you're pumping close to $4 million in wholesales, 130 deals in a very, one of the top three markets in the country. What has personally helped you? What things have you done or what have you invested in to make yourself and your business what it is now? Honestly, it's the people I interact with. Mm -hmm. So when I first got into business, I was told that you look back and see who your friends were when you started your business and who your friends are now. You look at the people that you talk to, the people you surround yourself with, and a lot of times those people aren't people that want to lift you up, right? They're people that don't really care. They want to just work a nine-to-five job. They don't have that, that fire to do things. So, I mean, if I look at where I was and where I am now, I owe a lot of that to my network. I really went out and did everything I could to meet people, shake hands with people, find the people that are in the same industry, right? So, I mean, for me, I'm part of a couple masterminds. That is, that is my thing. I love yeah. it. I sit in that room and I walk out just mind blown. And when we feel like we're alone, that we are the one that has, we're only one that has a problem, yeah. right? Why isn't, why isn't my mail giving me the response rate I need? Why, why isn't A, B, or C working? When we sit in those rooms with these people and you start finding out that you have the same problem I have or a very similar problem. And we're able to work through it because somebody in that room already had that problem a year ago and they already solved it. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that's what took my business from my first year doing, I think around 500,000 to almost $4 million last year. Just that one thing alone, I owe it to that. So it's like pure small tactics, the people that you meet, because you and I were in a mastermind last year at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's true when you're in a mastermind with like-minded people, you get to feel obviously not lonely and, and you'll start seeing some of the problems that other people are having and then their solutions to those problems. You know, those things can be very helpful. You know, masterminds are very, uh, if they're done correctly, they're worth every penny period, which you are uh, in it. And especially in this business, we know this business, there's a lot of people in it. Um, there's a lot of people getting in it and out of it every day, but we know the ones that are truly serious about the business. That's the one we decide to associate ourselves with. It's an investment. What's the most you ever paid for mastermind for the year? Twenty-five grand. Twenty-five thousand dollars. First one I got into was fifteen, and it was. I walked out of that room. I mean, the first time you do it, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, you're in there. You feel like everyone in there is more advanced than you, right? And I always thought, man, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that knows my stuff, right? But it's amazing how the mentality shifts. Yeah. I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. Absolutely. I want to sit down and I want to feel like everybody in that room is doing better than me. 
I want them to show me they're doing better than me. And then I want to get better. And then I want to go into another room where I'm the dumbest guy in the yeah. room. It's so important to me. That 15 grand I spent, man, when I wrote that check, I'm just like, God, this better work, right? <laughs> like, that's a lot of money. I'm like, $15,000. I wrote it and then they cashed it. I'm like, oh, here we go. They really cashed it. And I still had a couple months till the meeting. And I'm like, all right, basically got us up front of these guys, 15 grand. But I went, I was nervous as heck, man. My, my hands were sweating. I'm walking into this room. I'm like, I don't even know what to expect at this point. Walked in there. A lot of the guys already knew each other. I was a new guy in the room. Two days later, I walked out of that room and I'm like, I felt like I had friends for life walking out of that room because it's people that actually understood what I was doing. And I'm not a part of that mastermind anymore, but I still talk to every person from yeah. that room. And we have each other's phone numbers. We still help each other out to this day. It, it may sound cliche, but it almost became a family, right? Those are the people that believe in you and the people that help you get past your obstacles. And I walked out of that room going 15 grand, I would have paid way more. Yeah, every mastermind I've been in, uh, whatever it was worth or whatever we paid for, I learned probably three or four times that just mm -hmm. in that meeting. I mean, dollar-wise, like things that literally added revenue to my business, like not just Phantom, oh, it was worth more. No, it was literally added revenue to what I did. And it could be one small thing. I, I know usually in the multi-day masterminds, I usually wanted to leave after day one to go implement everything that I've learned. Yeah, that's it. You can't get home fast enough, right? And a lot of times they're so far from your house, you got to get on a plane. You're just like, I just want to be home and I want to do this. But one of the things I realized with the mastermind too is people always put it into just the revenue, right? So mm -hmm. if I go in and I'm making a million bucks, I should come out knowing how to make two. Mm -hmm. Well, there's more to it than that. Correct. So one of the first masterminds I went into, I realized I was overstaffed. So I didn't have the automation in my business. I was paying someone $3,000 a month for what I could automate. And I could do it for like a hundred bucks. So I was able to go in and this person wasn't exactly doing their job as it was. So I was able to go in, do the automation on that. And I still have not had to fill that role to this day. So that saved me 36 grand right there per year. Every year. So then all the taxes I pay for having employees and things like that, that accumulates as well. It's not just, oh, they taught me how to send another mail piece that happened to bring me in an extra $100,000. Yeah. There's a lot of different efficiencies that these people start teaching you because they've learned how to do things that you have no clue yeah. how to do. And that's helped me too, I think, because because growing my business, it's helped me uh, being able to pick the right team members and what you know uh, contracts look like when you're hiring new salespeople and just just stuff like that. But let's go back to last year. Um, tell me one deal that sticks out to you from last year that either was like a ninja capability that you guys pulled out of a hat or just a deal that you're real proud of that you pulled off. So we deal a lot in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles is a very, very renter friendly city. Mm -hmm. uh, landlords are not Scum exactly. of the earth type people, yeah. what they look at, they yeah, look at them like it. that. <laughs> you nailed it. The city does everything they can to protect renters. So if a renter stops paying, uh, getting them out of the property in some areas that have rent control, you have to pay them to move. Luckily, this property I'm talking about wasn't in a rent control area, which saved quite a bit of money and headache, but the tenants just didn't want to leave. They looked at us and said, nah, we're not going anywhere. Well, you know, we're going to have to start evicting you. And they'll just say, eh, oh, well, I'll wait. Yeah. They know that it could take us six months. They know it could be eight months if they do things wow. right. And they can sit in that property and not pay their rent for the next eight months. They have the money, Right. But they're just pocketing that money. Eight months rent free in us. LA is like a sal a whole salary in 
And for us, we look at it and said, this wholesale spread alone was going to be over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. So that's probably worth putting a little time and effort into it. Right. It was a $5,000 wholesale spread in my market. I probably be like, well, Leave them, yeah. you know, owner can get them out and we'll deal with it later. But we worked with the owner. We basically set them up with an attorney, helped them run through everything. We don't pay for the evictions. If we need to pay for the eviction, then we have contracts in writing that we get paid back out of their proceeds. So we'll basically upfront them that money. This owner had the money for the eviction. So we set him up with the attorney. Ended up being about three months in. And finally, we keep having constant conversations with the tenants. The tenants started understanding that, hey, this is coming to an end. So we went to them, made them an offer and said, hey, we'll give you five grand if you vacate this property, but you've got to be out this weekend. And immediately that person was like, yeah, okay, we'll be out. Can I get the money? Well, listen, you haven't paid your rent. I'm not giving you the money until you give me the keys. Yeah. So we showed up on the weekend. We even brought them moving boxes. So we dropped by a couple of days before, brought them like 50 boxes and said, hey, here you go. Here's tape. Here's even your damn Sharpie to write on these boxes and gave them everything they needed. Boxes were sitting on the porch, go back on Saturday. Guess where those boxes are? Right there on that porch, not even open. So the minute we walk up to that door, we're like, there's no way these people are going to be out today. Here I am with $5,000 in my pocket. So I turn around and go to my car, put it in my car. I'm like, all right, these guys aren't going to take me for this. Knock on the door. Oh, we need another week. Well, what have you been doing? Yeah. You know, oh, we just didn't have time. We didn't have time. Okay. Because every time I come here, you're home. So obviously you never <laughs> leave this house. Um, you got time. Yeah. So we started telling them, well, okay, next week it's 2,500 bucks. And then they're like, oh, no, no, no. They're arguing back and forth with us. And uh, finally, week goes by. We go back. Boxes are off the porch. We're like, good sign. Walk inside. Like, we need one more week. Just it seems to just be constant, right? So the attorney is still pushing this stuff, but I knew that we ended up being, oh gosh, we were probably still three months out for this thing getting done. So we called the seller up and we just said, hey, you know, we had five grand on there. What if we go down there today and we say, hey, if you're out in two days, we'll give you eight grand, but this is the final offer. Otherwise, you get nothing. And seller said, okay, that's fine. So we split uh, some of that with her, went down there, basically showed them the cash. So I'm going to take the risk. Take it from me. They take it from me. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Show them the cash. Man, I have never seen people start packing so fast. Uh, those guys were out of that house by probably 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, they called us. They're like, we're out. Right. Then we get there, bring the cash, bring a release for them to sign saying they vacated the property. They didn't want to hand me the keys. Obviously, they were just going to go back in. So we brought a locksmith out, changed the locks right at that point. Got them out of the house. I think our wholesale fee was 145 grand, roughly, on that property, minus the money we split with the seller. So we ended up getting about a 141, 142 on that. So that's a good month and a half for me, like a great month and a half. <laughs> well, that's not an everyday deal. Yeah, but for still, us, right? I've never, I've never yeah. home run a deal like that. I think the the best deal I've ever did was around 60 something thousand, but that's never happened again since. But you know, I'm cool with that. Um, man, that's that's interesting. So tell me about your favorite marketing tactic and it doesn't have to be the one that you makes you the most money just your favorite one honestly i'm gonna go a little ancient here and say mail and it is my best producing one so for everybody that that gets in this industry they follow the lead of whoever they're listening to yep. right like me people that follow me don't mail well, some <laughs> of them do and they can they can though i mean that's mm -hmm. the thing is as everyone tells them to switch to rvm and switch to all those different things people leave mail as people have started leaving mail, as RVM has become more popular, 
my mail has doubled. Yeah. My, the return on my mail has doubled. I, I, I think that's for me to blame because I remember going in and talking to in a lot of meetups and like, Lo, I do not mail. And it's not necessarily that I'm telling people to switch off their mail. I'm like, all right, reduce your budget by 20%, throw that into some other marketing methods and see which one gets you the best ROI. And if it continues to grow, then skip. It's business practice, right? You're testing things to see. I think that's where I think a lot of people don't understand or fail in this. Any business is they are afraid to test new things. And I think that even yourself, if you would have seen that our RVM was bringing you 50% more ROI, you would have completely started to switch. But you know, you're know, you consistent with your marketing when you're doing mail. How much are you spending each month? Almost 40,000 on mail. It's a lot of money on mail. But when you look at RVM, no, 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 I, mean, I get it. We split test with RVM too. We do multiple things. Don't and that's put what, all your eggs in one basket. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like I split, I do, I do mail. I do mail in a sense that first of all, we use deal machines, so that's a form of mail postcards. But we also did like a hybrid mail system where the people that we couldn't reach via phone, and we we'd mail them. We would stack it and mail them. So like we, I'm not saying we completely we test things every day because you obviously want to be on the top top of your market. I see you doing meetups in Southern California. Tell me how those are going and what kind of message are you trying to deliver when you have these meetups? I mean, honestly, I like to give back. Mm -hmm. So I succeeded in this business by people helping me. And the meetups was kind of a solution to a problem I had. I mean, I was getting a lot of people reaching out to me saying, hey, can you teach me this business? Um, I'll work for you for free. I'll make phone calls for you. I'll do all this. And all those messages I was getting, I was just, I don't have a time. I mean, if I, if I went to every one of those people and said, yeah, sure. I'll devote an hour here, an hour there, an hour there. Pretty soon I'd be booked out six months yeah. and I wouldn't get anything else done. So I said, the meetup seemed to be the solution to that. So I went back and invited every single one of those people to the meetup. Uh, we put it on for free. I eat the cost of it. We booked the room. We have about almost 300 people in our meetup group now, uh, but we have about 50 that come to each meeting. So our meeting caps out at about 50. So Just because of the space. Exactly. And eventually we'll look at a bigger space. And it's free. It's free. Yeah. yeah. Who's your next guest coming up? Uh, Jalen White. And when are, you, when are you doing that one? Uh, that is the 30th of January. So 30th of January. PM. And how do they get the information on the meetup? Do you know right away? Uh, so head over to meetup.com. Look up SoCal Real Estate Wholesalers. You can just send the invitation over and we'll get you approved. We, we bring everybody in. I think we only have five or six spots left in that meetup. If it if we get too many people looking at it, we might look at a bigger space for it. Just because I know that as soon as I said Jalen was going to be there, people started definitely signing up for that. I think we sold out almost sold out the meetup in like an hour and something. That's cool. So uh, Jalen's a good kid. Yeah, I don't call him a kid. He's a good guy. Oh, we can call him a kid. I mean, that, that's fine. You get it. I tell him that all the time. But uh, <laughs> every time I hang out with him, I feel like I'm ancient. But uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely come a long way in what he does. I respect him. Good guy. So this question is for more of my advanced listeners, and it's more about building teams, something that I'm personally doing in the office right now. I'm building more and more team. Tell me a secret or a tactic that you use to help you grow your team and to find the right individuals. Oh, my team is very interesting. Uh, my office is a very strange dynamic. Mm -hmm. I mean, we toss a football around the office. We're very laid back. But because of that, the culture works for us and helps us really get things done. So the most important thing for me when I bring people into the office is will they actually work with my team, right? Will, will it be someone that will stand up and throw a football? Will it be someone that will joke around a little bit? 
we're looking for that person that's very easygoing because that's really what you need in a team like this, right? You want someone that's flexible because we're changing things all the time. If you get somebody in your company that's afraid of change or something like that, they're going to create a lot of problems for you down the road. Um, those people have just never worked out. So ultimately, when we go to hire, we ask a lot of very strange questions in the interviews. You know, it's not, you know, a lot of interviews you go to, it's, oh, tell me three of your strength, three of your what's weaknesses. The, what's a strange question? What's a strange question you ask? So for us, we'll ask them what their favorite animal is. Okay. So what's your favorite animal? Why is it your favorite animal? My, my favorite animal is a giraffe. Now, see, it says a lot. Does lot. it? What does it say? I have no idea. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were really going to tell me something here, man. Just play with my heart. Ultimately, what we're looking for is that person just to be confident in their answer. Mm -hmm. And we can even ask the person like, oh, really? Wow. Why do you like a giraffe? You know, like it's bad. And uh, you just want to see how the person's confidence is, how they react under pressure. Um, then we'll get into, hey, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? We're looking for someone that says... Oh my gosh, if I had a million bucks, I'd want to give back. I'd want to maybe buy a house as an investment. I would want to do something like that. Not in Southern California, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can buy one. It's probably going to be a mobile home or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, then you look at the people that say, oh my gosh, if I had a million bucks, I would go shopping. I would go buy, I'd buy a Lamborghini. I would do all this stuff. And you're like, okay, all right, good answer. But you're looking for the people that, basically will jive with the team, but also has some bit of a financial responsibility. Because you're building a culture. So not only do you, each team player has to intertwine with the other ones, mm -hmm. but you're, you want a certain standard company culture. Yeah. And my team makes good money. I mean, my acquisitions guys mm -hmm. make really good money. And most of the guys that step into that role have not seen that much money. If you go from making 30 grand a year to $200,000 a year, I mean... My guys aren't, they're not driving fancy cars. Yeah, they they're don't not. need to. They still drive the same cars they drove. Uh, one of them drives a Honda Accord, a car that was passed down to him. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Fantastic. He shares a house with roommates. They're not going and doing all of this stuff and just spending their money like crazy. They wear their work shirts to work every day. They're not wearing Louis Vuitton. They're not wearing all this stuff. There's no reason for that, right? They're saving their money. And I tell my guys when you get hired, hey, this is a commission job. You're going to have good months and you're going to have bad months. It all depends on closing. Let it put it away. Save. Yes. And I tell them that up front. If they choose to listen, it's their thing. If they don't, okay. Yeah. But they don't go out and do that stuff. And those are the people we're looking for. I mean, if they want to go buy a new car and they buy a nice one, fantastic. I will get in it and I will go for a ride. I love that. But if they get their first paycheck working for me and boom, they go out and blow it all and buy a Maserati or something, you're like, all right, I see how this is going to go. Now you're broken. You need your next check already. And you're probably going to ask me for an advance. That's the kind of stuff we try to steer <laughs> clear of. So I'm all about having nice things. I'm pretty casual myself, but I'm all about nice things. And if they want it, I hope they get it. So what is something that you struggled with last year that you're trying to improve this year? Something we, I think a lot of these podcasts, we all talk about how great everything's going. Tell me something that you've been struggling with or you want to improve this year in 2019. I mean, for us, Wow. I mean, there's so many things we struggle with. Uh, people think that we don't, right? Yeah. Because we have good businesses. The thing that I was, so let's go back to 2017 and say the thing that I was struggling with was staff. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing that I set out to fix in 2018. 2019, I mean, the thing, we spend a lot of money in marketing. Mm -hmm. we, we drop a lot. There's a lot of things we could spend a little more time with uh, to be able to spend less in marketing, potentially even half of that. I feel like a lot of the times we're just like basically throwing out the money like this. Mm -hmm. 
and we can spend more time stacking our lists. Uh, we have a list stacking software that we paid for every single month. Don't use it. Barely use it. We can start using that kind of stuff to start making sure that we're really targeting those homeowners versus just saying, okay, we got a 20 year ownership list, blast it out and let's see what happens. So this year we're going to try to save money on that marketing to make sure that we are, I mean, we could save potentially 15 grand a month just on mailing alone if we're able to get that right. Now you put that over a year. I mean, that's a great return. And then you start doing that with every marketing channel you're doing. We could see a big return on that. So that's big for us. Uh, I mean, for us right now, we've been looking at expanding into new markets. So 2019, uh, our goal is to start doing more of the seller financing type of deals in other markets and acquiring rentals. That's something we've struggled with in the past just because we've been so busy, right? You only have so much time in a day. I already work my hours and sometimes I'm like, I, I don't want to work another hour, right? I have my company set where I can go do something if I want to do it. Company will run while I'm gone, but I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I yeah. have no desire to do that. So our goal is to expand in other markets without having to see a drop in our current business. That's awesome. So uh, you and I have been working on some things uh, after the conference. We had a uh, great conference in October. We're doing another one in March in Dallas, Texas. If you haven't got your tickets by now, you're absolutely crazy because if you wait till the last minute, last time they were scalping tickets. So yeah, whatever ticket you got, that. they were throwing money on top of it. So if you bought a $500 ticket, you were paying $7,750. So don't wait. You can go get that at wholesalingelitelive.com. But that's going to be the largest wholesaling conference ever put on to date from my re recollection. I think nobody's ever contested that. But we're going to have between twelve and 1,500 people in the room. We're going to bring the biggest to top best investors together. We're just going to have fun for a whole weekend and grow people's businesses. It's just going to be a good company culture. It's part of the reason I'm here. I mean, we're looking at that event. We're looking at some of the things that are going to come up from it. And you're allowing people to pick their seats too, right? Yeah. So this is much different because before we had an open seating, you just bought a ticket and boom. But now you actually, it's like a ticket master type setup. So you actually go and pick your seat where you're sitting. And that is an option that you need to take advantage of because seats are just quickly like going away and you're going to miss the best seat possible and you're going to be in the back. Yeah. I remember the people in the back last time, they were so far back. I'm like sitting here kind of looking <laughs> past the lights, like who the heck is even back there? But I don't think you were out there at that time, but as everyone started coming in and they're checking in, right, there was no assigned seats at the last event. So man, when those doors open, it was, yeah, it was a mad dash. See how many people you can squish through those doors at one time. So that is an advantage of having your own seat this time, right? So book early guys, make sure you guys get this thing booked so you guys can get that seat, get a real good view of me and Max. Um, <laughs> but you know, the setup this time is actually a lot bigger. The screen is huger, uh, huger, I just huger. We'll go with bigger. I'm going to go huger. We can go huger. The screen okay. was huger. It's going to be huger this time. It's a brand name. Uh, you guys, look, Google it. But yeah, it's going to be a bigger screen. The seating is going to be more dynamic. And we got things. We spent a lot of time thinking about that. But off of the last conference, even before then, you and I were talking about creating a mastermind. And we finally, over the last three months, put together something that's crazy. Do you do you want to expand on the mastermind? that we're, we, This is the first time we ever talked about in public. But expand about what the mastermind is going to be and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, puts me on the spot a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> it's cool. It's the first time I decide to introduce this. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be exciting. So we had our our VIP day uh, before the last event and maybe 25 people or yeah. so in the room. Yeah, and it was supposed to be 20, but then more people just kept rolling in. It, oh, friends so and fun. other friends and stuff like that. So what the VIP day is, is it's it's a mini mastermind. 
basically these people get a chance to go up in front and talk about their businesses. Um, some people have businesses, some people have hobbies, right? And by that, I mean, hobby, you don't have that consistent income coming in, yeah. right? You're still, basically, if you look at your flow chart, it's me, 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 me everywhere. Mm -hmm. And what our goal was during that day was to help people figure out how they get on the right track to put me at the top and then start putting other names in these areas. We did like 12, 13 hours in one room with 25 people and everybody got to present their business. Yes. Crazy. And it was fun. And that's that's where, you know, you and I both be in that room. We said, hey, we got to do this, right? These, we're getting the feedback we got from that was so amazing. And the masterminds I've been in in the past, I love that. I have a passion for it. Uh, I can tell you do as well. So I want to help people go from that one deal to five deals or that 10 deals to 20 deals, help them get that first hire yeah. and show them how to do it. The stuff we're going to share in those mastermind rooms is opening our businesses, yeah. right? And it's confidential, the things that you actually get access to. Yeah. We don't allow any recording in our mastermind groups. Basically, all we're going to do is we're going to go up there and let people be vulnerable. I mean, I've been in mastermind groups where grown men are crying, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Because they think their business is going down. They're having a tough time. But the thing they're struggling with is something somebody else has already struggled with. So they're able to, we're able to say to him, hey, you're going to be all right. Yeah, man. we've done We went through this already. Yeah, you're, you're having a hell of a time doing this, but you're going to get through it. And that is exactly what I want for our mastermind. I want to make sure that People that start our mastermind in 2019, they still do it in 2021, 2022. But instead of doing $100,000 or $50,000 a year, they're doing $100,000 or $200,000 a month, Correct. right? Yeah. And I want to see that. I want to see those people grow. I want to build that, that mastermind family that basically we're, we're there for them. Yeah. We will be at every single mastermind. So what's the structure? How many times are we meeting a year? How like how does it work? So we'll meet quarterly. Okay, um, so still times. finishing up all the details on it, but we'll meet quarterly. We'll have two destinations we meet at. So we'll rotate back and forth. We'll try to find some more central locations. That way everyone throughout the U.S. can get to it without having to fly farther. But we'll go into the room. It'll be a two-day meeting, and we're just going to get immersed into everybody's businesses. We are going to dig in there. We're going to ask the hard questions. And we're going to make sure that when people leave that room, they feel like the value that they walked out of that room with is 50 times what they came in with. Yeah. And then we'll keep in touch during the meetings uh, or between the meetings, sorry, and get together the next one. So anything that happens uh, at the first meeting, second meeting, third meeting, we're going to set goals for everybody. Mm -hmm. No one is leaving that room without a goal. And that goal is going to be you will accomplish A, B, and C by the next meeting. And you have 20 some people here holding you accountable for that. You have 20 some phone numbers out of the room that you can call if you have a problem. And then a private Facebook group that we're all in. That's exactly it. So, and then we'll have some calls between the meetings to make sure that people are on the right track. Keeping up their but end of the bargain. We don't want to break somebody down if they don't accomplish a goal. Our goal is to find out why they didn't accomplish that goal. Yeah. And what could you have done differently to do that? And if we set your goal, for the next meeting now, how are you actually going to accomplish it this time? It's the information in a mastermind, man. I, I love it so much. My passion for it is just, it's crazy. That's not the official announcement. We just wanted to yeah. tease it out there. I think we'll make the official announcement in a couple months, but just be ready. Know that something's brewing. You've been pushing to get more on social media. I've seen you being more active. Where can people find you at? What are your most active platforms? Uh, find me on Instagram at the Scott Oots. 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Scott. How Hertz. do you spell Oots? That'd be O O T S. O O T S. Scott O O T S. I get that a lot. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to <laughs> make sure notes, you go find it's them. It's not dots. I, I get them all. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, find me on there. My goal, I know I got called out at the last meeting. Everyone listening to this, I'm sure, is definitely saying, oh, he still hasn't posted more. I'm trying. I'm getting there. Uh, I made a promise to everyone that I would do that. So yeah. I'm going to live up to that promise this year. It's one of my goals for 2019. So uh, I'm going to be on there quite a bit more. So when you, before we wrap up, when you're talking to newbies, this, this is for newbies right here. Give them one tip that you say will help them forever in their business or at least get started on the right path. Just one tip. I mean, get out there and do it. So analysis paralysis, it's a big thing. People think they have That's to real. know every single thing before they go out there. You don't. Yeah, I learn and mess up every day. Right? Literally, we do. Yeah. I mean, I still mess up every day. It's important because you're learning while you do it. Get out there and get those doors slammed in your face. Knock on doors. Talk to sellers. They're going to tell you to go away. Get rejected because you need to learn how to overcome rejection in order to be able to succeed 100%. and get the approval. So just get out there. Just do it. Listen to podcasts at night when you're laying in bed, not during the day when you can knock on a door. Yeah. You can't knock on a door at 2 a.m. That'd probably be a bad move. Yeah. So <laughs> listen to a podcast at 2 a.m. Go out and knock on a door at 10 a.m. Do something like that, but just take action. Stop wasting all of your time just sitting there watching videos. I need to get my business cards ready. I need to get my website ready. I need to register my business. I need to design my postcard. Blah, 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 Stop. blah, right? Yeah, just, just get it done. do it. Just Take it action. Done. You can do all that crap later. Just get out there and get a deal. So all you newbies out there, you know, yeah, listen to the podcast, but do it like at 2 a.m. like he says, or when you're driving to work, when you have no option to do anything else. But just get out there and actually do it because that's how I got started three weeks into it, got my first deal, boom, boom, bang, you know, and then never looked back since then. So all you newbies, go out there and just actually do it. Man, Scott, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming all the way. Yeah. From California to Thanks for having me in the North cold, Carolina. Man. Yeah, no I problem. Mean, geez, I haven't taken off my jacket since I got here. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I took a shower with it and everything. But you guys, so this is the wrap-up of the Wholesaling Elite Podcast. It's the first one for 2019, and we're going to be delivering a new podcast every single Thursday. So look out for it. 6 a.m. every single Thursday, dropping new podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and every single place you can find it, including the video on YouTube. So shout out to Dave and J-Rock, my team out there making sure this gets out. And I will see you guys next time. Peace and prosperous. Later. Thank you for listening to the Wholesaling Houses Elite Podcast with Max Maxwell. Make sure to tune in next week to see what elite wholesaler will have in the hot seat.